Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting for Thursday, December 14th, the Your Child is Made of Meat edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm an editor at Slate, and I'm the father of Leo, who is three years old, and Eliza, who is seven. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and podcaster living in New Hampshire, and I'm mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 14, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. And I am Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster out in Oakland, California, and I am father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 14. Today on our show, we'll be talking to Slate technology writer April Glazer about Periscope, the live streaming web service where she found that young girls are being swarmed with inappropriate requests from other users. Uh, We've also got a question from a listener whose daughter is the only girl her age in her small rural school. Plus, as always, we'll have triumphs and fails. We'll have recommendations on Slate Plus. Rebecca will tell us a little bit about how she's coping with the difficult outcome of her triumph this week, which is where we're going to start. Triumphs and fails. Rebecca, you have a triumph. What is it? Yeah, I got a big one, although I can't take 100% credit for it or maybe even um, 10% credit for it. But it's just so exciting that I have to tell you guys. Um, my, yesterday was a snow day, and um, so the boys were home. I came to work, and my son Henry called me at work in the afternoon and said, Mom. And I said, Yes. And he said, I just got a phone call from Senator Shaheen's office. I'm going to be a Senate page in Washington, D.C. this spring. So he is going to D.C. in a few weeks. He'll be there through June. He's going to miss the whole second half of the school year here locally. And he's going to be working for the Democratic senators in Washington. And we will be able to watch him on C-SPAN, which is very exciting for me. Uh, And the yeah, it's kind of it's 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 really honestly like the coolest thing that's ever happened in our family, to be completely honest with you. Uh, But he um, I think the most triumphant and cool thing about it is. I know he's independent enough to go. I know he's going to be fine kind of living on his own with these other kids. It's like 30 kids from around the country. Um, I know that this has been a longstanding dream of his and that he is fully equipped to do it. And I'm really excited, frankly, that he wants to do it so badly. He isn't one of these kids who's like, I really want to beef up my college application. Like, he really wants to work in the Senate. So <laughs> um, it was a very, 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 very long shot thing. And um, I didn't plan around it, which we'll talk about in Slate Plus <laughs> at all. Um, and there's a lot of logistics to work out. But it's it's really exciting for us as a family to know that he's going to be Senate page this spring. We're really excited about it. So wait, real quick. The Senate is staffed by high school students who are like moving away from home for six months and not going to school and instead working as as pages in the Senate. What? Yeah, there are 30 or so. There used to be House pages and Senate pages. The House page program was shut down for uh, reasons that you might imagine it was. The Senate page program, though, um, continues. There are about 30 or so kids. So the leadership decides which senators are going to be able to sponsor pages, which was the second reason. It's a long shot because it's competitive. It's also a long shot because you don't even know if your senator is going to be able to sponsor one. And then they um, go to page school from like 6 in the morning to like 10 in the morning. And then they go work in the Senate all day. And they're there from um, his his term is like end of January through June. And then the next term is summer. So there's like a a summer term, a spring term and a fall term. So, yeah, that's that's who's carrying the papers around. That's who's like running down to that place that makes the signs and like bringing them back so they can make those presentations on the floor. You know, they, they get correspondence, they uh, transport bills, and they, um, you know, work with all the senators in that party. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's great. 
Do they also answer phones? You know that thing where we swarm our senators and representatives with phone calls and then we get that beleaguered person on the other end of the line who's like, thank you. And then they answer the phone. Is that is that going to be your son? I, I don't know. It does. I, we're getting – I'm supposed to get a packet. I literally know – I know very little about this considering um, – um, you know, what a big deal is we're supposed to receive some information. But it does say on the list of duties that one of the things will be taking messages for senators. So I don't know if that means externally or not, but that would be a good skill, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's really cool. He's going to come out of it having like had a job, basically. That's Yeah. Um, that's yeah. It. It's paid. It's also paid, which is cool. They do pay them and they also put them up. Which So you don't have to worry about like finding him like a housing situation or whatever yeah it's it's kind of a good gig and i recommend honestly like if you're in, if your kid loves politics look at your local senator's office and see if they have a page website up that's how we kind of got into it and um it is an opportunity that's out there when he comes back i want a slate plus segment on what the parties are like in the senate paid dorms <laughs> absolutely <laughs> like, there's no the way scene? he's not doing that yeah yeah great carvel triumph or fail this week well, that's a war. Well, we've had so many triumphs that I feel like I have to, I really need to pull a fail out of thin air because I almost had a triumph. But, um, this actually what Rebecca has, um, shared has inspired me to share about something that I'm, I'm actually, we're concerned about. So, um, our son is, has reached the age of 14. And quite frankly, we love him, but he's a layabout. He's a basically a layabout. He lays around the house playing video games, complaining about the quality of the food. And it's frustrating to us. And we, Joe and I both were the kind of people who had jobs at early ages. I don't know how early Joe was when she started working, but she began working very early. I know that I was something like 15 when I started catching the bus to downtown LA to sweep up hair in a salon for $20 and clean mirrors. And I've always had a job. I've always had multiple jobs all the way through college. We're a family of working people. And now we have this son who is of an age where he can do something and he's not. He doesn't do anything. He kind of lays around. He plays video games. He complains about how the, there's not the right orange juice, the brand of orange juice in the refrigerator. And it's driving us quite frankly, crazy. And this is brought into stark relief, not only by far away things like the children of certain colleagues going off to work in the US government, <laughs> but also his best friend this summer, who his best friend who always works and always does something and is always working on a side project and is a, is a photographer and all this stuff. His best friend this, this Christmas is working at a Christmas tree farm thing. So he just stands there and loads up the Christmas trees for the people and he does that. And his other good friend is like uh, an artist who goes to school, the same art school that my son goes to. My son's there for theater. This kid is there for visual arts. This guy is doing, starting to do like little design for little tiny nonprofits and little tiny projects around Oakland. And he's getting a little bit of money and he's learning business. He's learning how to get stiffed by clients and how to get bad prospectuses and briefs from clients. And, you know, but he's doing it. These are kids are 15. They're out there. They're doing it. And our son just isn't. And it's driving us kind of crazy. He's incredibly resistant to it. Joe says that when he turns 16, that's when the hammer comes down. It's either, it's either get a job or you're out in the street, which is not true. But, um, but I just feel on some deep level that by not, Either by not forcing him or by not setting up the situation or by not raising a kid who, like his best friend, is out there on his own getting a job, that we're somehow enabling him. And I don't quite know how to fix that or if that's even the right thing. So I feel I feel in a gut way that we're failing currently. It's not a full failure, but it's a failure in progress if we don't figure something out. Have you tried like – making you know making his allowance or or making some aspect of his continued existence conditional on him getting a job yeah this is something that i am more inclined to do than joe is joe feels like it's a little early for that i the thing the trigger point for me actually and i forgot to add this is that this summer he gets he and i get our haircut at the same place which is an excellent father-son bonding experience but the guy who is my barber as is the way of oakland barbers also has a whole side hustle where he runs this lifestyle brand that's kind of his main thing and it's a really good he's got a brick and mortar store in oakland he's sell resells shoes clothing hats and I mean, he's really good at what he does he's got a whole thing ezra's really into that stuff he's really into sort of lifestyle brand fashion as a thing as an artistic thing and as a business thing so i said well why don't you connect with this guy like he'll, he'll put you on for an internship quote-unquote internship over the summer which means you'll 
still get to basically hang out in the store, help him move product around, help him understand how the business works. And he'll probably hit you with some stuff under the table. Go for it. Ezra said, yeah, I'm into it. I said, cool. He said, how do I do it? I said, just go down to the shop, tell him you're down and, and make that phone call. Okay, I'm going to do it. He never did it. He never did it. And I kept pressing him and pressing him. And then about a week after, oh, I don't know that. I, I'm not sure if I want to do it. I just, I don't know. It's a lot of, it's going to be hard for me to catch the bus down there. He just bailed. And I think he bailed out of fear and out of laziness. And at that point, that's when I started being like, eh, I don't think this kid, I think this kid, we need to turn the screws on him a little bit more. Joe's not sure as sure yet about that, but that's where we're at. But that, I think that's a really good suggestion. And I'm, ho- I'm happy to hear from other parents, especially parents of kids, like the kind of parents who are like, you go out and get a job at 14, which is what Joe and I were. I need some, I need some of that, <laughs> you know, cause we don't have a kid like that. Cause he's pretty comfortable where he is. And we just, Joe and I didn't have that. So it's a little weird to, for us to understand his thought process. Yeah. When you, when you ask him what he'd be interested in doing, can he articulate like anything that even if it sounds crazy, I mean, yes. cause to be honest, like, you know, Henry, I'm, you know, he he started really kind of working and he was like doing edit, audio editing for me. He like aptitude for it. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's like a really non-traditional kind of like 1099 kind of situation. But like, is there anything that he says that he would like, yeah, if there were a job that was X, I would totally do it. You know, I mean, I have I have a suspicion about what those things are. He's really interested in media and he's really interested in filmmaking and he's interested in audio and editing and he, he wants to tell stories and he's really interested in the media. Um, but I think I think I should have that conversation with him more explicitly to, to get that to see where he's at today, because also kids change a lot, you know. But right. my thing, the thing I've observed with him a lot, and this is just a gut feeling I have about him, is that he is afraid of failure. He's may, may even be more afraid of failure than the average person. I don't know if that's true or not. So a lot of times he, a lot of time, and I, I maybe just be projecting because I actually have a little bit of this and I've learned obviously in my age to navigate it. But a lot of times things are really comfortable and wonderful when you're sitting in your room imagining them. That's the best part because then nothing's going wrong. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But then when you go out and try to do it and the vision and like the reality is so far from your vision and that feeling of failure that you get when your reality isn't matched up with your vision yet and blah, blah, blah. That stuff really, that is hard. I think that's really hard for him. And I think that's psychologically, that's one of the reasons he kind of avoids just getting out there into the fray. And it's early enough yet that we can sort of observe it. But I fear that it's a kind of personality trait that's building and building. And I, I have some worry about that if I'm being 100% honest. Yeah, I think I was like that as a kid. It, it and and it took me like being an adult and having no options other than to try shit and fail at it very badly before I figured out how to as you say how to navigate it. But um mm. I wonder what you can do to sort of push him into a situation that's like out on the diving board where there's nothing else he can do except like jump off. Yeah, I think that I think this summer we'll have I think that's a good time for us to sort of do that and I also think that um I think even just hearing what Rebecca shared about the page program has like sort of made me realize that this is moving to a front burner issue for us as a family. And so then, so then we get to work on that. So it is all those things. It's like, how do we deal with the allowance? Maybe making the allowance contingent on him getting off his ass and doing some shit this summer instead of playing video games. And, uh, and, uh, and then maybe it is that frank conversation that Rebecca suggested, like, what is it that you would really want to do if you could do anything and how can we work our way into that? Um, and then it is, it is, yeah. So I, all this stuff helps, but, uh, you know, and again, you, I mean, you guys have heard him on the show. This is a good, this is a bright kid who can do a lot of stuff. I just think he hasn't been forced to the way that Joe and I were forced to. And that's showing yeah, up yeah. a little bit in the way he's navigating. Yeah. I hope we yeah. uh, hear about this in the context of a triumph soon, like where he yeah. applies for some job and doesn't get it, but then realizes that that's okay or something like that. That would be one version <laughs> yeah. of a triumph. Um, totally. I have a fail and it's a very small scale and slapstick fail. Um, it's, it falls into the category of minor injury fails. Um, I, every day, uh, I take the two kids to school and, um, Eliza's up on the top floor. And so we all three of us and her class starts earlier than his does. And so the three of us ride up in the elevator and we drop her off in her classroom. 
And then Leo wants to um, go down the stairs. So we have to go down like six flights of stairs because he won't ride the elevator back down. And the reason he wants to go down the stairs is because he likes to jump down the last few stairs. And he started out jumping down the last <laughs> two stairs, but then he stepped it up to the last three stairs. And he has experimented with the last four stairs. But I've sort of talked him back to three stairs because four stairs is like it, it's a little too high. Um, but when he does this jump, he has to be holding my hand because he cannot make the jump unless he's holding my hand. Um, and so we're going down like six flights of stairs and every, every time we're like doing this jump at the bottom of the stairs. And, um, you know, this morning I was, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night cause I was up being excited about the election in Alabama. And then I was like super pumped. And so I couldn't go to sleep until like two in the morning and I'm on Twitter retweeting happy stuff. And then I like try to go to sleep and I can't. So I wake up and I'm super tired. And then I like schlep the kids to school and we go up to the top floor and we drop her off. And now there's me and him. And it's like, this is the home stretch for me because once we get down to his classroom, then I'm going to drop him off. And, and then like now I can exhale in my morning parenthood responsibilities are over and I can get a cup of coffee. Um, but so we go down the first flight of stairs and he jumps and we go down the second flight of stairs and he jumps and I'm sort of in my head and kind of dozy. And then at some point around like the fourth jump, I'm just not mm. really paying as much attention as I need to be paying on these three-step <laughs> jumps. And I'm kind of still <laughs> moving around the stairwell oh. as he's jumping down and I'm holding his hand and my my rotating motion winds up kind of forcing him into the post at the center of the stairs oh. so he jumps down and but also i sort of swing him around and slam his forehead into into the post and Ooh. and i should say first of oh. all be, because uh my my wife listens to the program i should say first of all uh that that he's fine uh it was only a a, a little bump and i don't think it even bruised and uh it, this was a three kiss problem as opposed to to uh like 10 or or 20 kiss problem which is how the serious injuries go uh so i gave it three kisses and 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 he was fine and when i dropped him off in the yellow room then we did our usual goodbye and everything was totally fine but it was the the clear feeling of my personally having physically slammed my child into a post <laughs> more than the actual medical consequences, uh, I think, oh that, that, that make me file this one pretty firmly under parental failure. Yeah. Oh, that is the worst. There's no worse thing than that. I have to just say one time, this is one of the worst things that ever happened to me as a parent. Georgia was a toddler, 18 months old. We, we were trying to move a futon. Me and Joe, we had this huge queen size futon, whatever, cause, cause we used to be college students. So we had this queen size futon. Futons are really annoying to move. They're very heavy. They don't have handles. So we're trying to move this futon around the living room for some godforsaken reason. And George is standing over me kind of watching and I try to get a good grip on the futon and I pull up with all my strength and my hand slips off of the grip that I'm trying to pull up and I end up hitting 18 month old Georgia right in the eye Oof. and mm. giving her a black eye. And it was the worst feeling ever. And she was fine. Like, like you said, three kiss problem. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. We hugged. But then for th days, I had to walk around as a dad holding this baby with a black eye. Yeah. And when anyone asked what happened, the only true answer was, <laughs> I hit her. That's the only true answer. Like, I can't, I can't say she ran into a door because that was a lie and people know you're lying. I had to say, I, I hit her, but it was an accident. I swear to God. I the bet you still, ever. I bet you still remember the physical sensation of your oh fist connecting God. with to her this, skull. That moment when you realize this, this day, your child is made out of meat. Your child is a physical this, object <laughs> made out of meat. So to this day, sometimes I'll be sitting in the car with her and I'll look over at her and I'll just want to hug her and kiss her and apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it's been like 11 years and I still... I bet she's uh, so sick of hearing that. about it too. I bet she's like, Dad, I know, it's fine. You hit me when I'm I was fine. a baby, whatever. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Okay, before we go on, it's time for the business. That's right, it's business time. First, as always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer on air, uh, leave us a message, 424-255-7833, or send us an email at momanddadatslate.com. If you have a special holiday-themed question, call it in soon, because we have upcoming holiday-themed shows on which we would love to tackle your holiday-themed questions. Uh, secondly, I want to tell you about another great Slate podcast. It's called Slow Burn, a podcast about Watergate. Uh, it's from Slate reporter Leon Nafok. It tells the story in eight parts of what it was like to live through the greatest presidential scandal in American history. If your understanding of Watergate comes from All the President's Men, or if you haven't even seen that movie uh, and you've been wondering, as the news has swirled about the investigation into the Trump administration's dealings with Russia, uh, and you've seen comparisons to Watergate, this is the show that tells you what it was actually like at the time and how it played out over the course of two dramatic years. Check out Slow Burn wherever you get your podcasts. Today in Slate Plus, we're going to hear how Rebecca really feels about her oldest child leaving her home in the middle of his adolescence for six full months. Is she really unequivocally thrilled about it? I don't think so, do you? To hear that segment and more segments like that every week and to get this and all your other Slate podcasts without any ads whatsoever, sign up for Slate Plus. It's a great way to help support this show and all of our other work. Just $35 for your first year. You can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite shows. And in return, you get extended ad-free versions of this podcast and other great Slate shows and a lot of other great benefits. If you would like to support us, go to slate.com slash Plus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, thank you. Now it's time to get back to the show. This week, Slate's technology writer April Glazer published a story called Periscope Has a Minor Problem. She reports that users are swarming young girls and asking them to do inappropriate things, and the live streaming app hasn't been able to stop them. Uh, April is here on our show to talk to us about Periscope and about the uh, problems for kids on social media in general. Uh, April Glazer is a Slate technology writer, and she's the co-host of If Then, Slate's technology podcast. April, thank you for being with us. Maybe you could start by just telling people who don't know what even is Periscope and, and what are the legitimate and non-scary things that people do on Periscope. Sure. Periscope is a live video streaming app that Twitter actually bought in 2015. And it's it's like a broadcast app. So let's say you're um, being confronted by the cops or something like that. And, and or someone that you see is being confronted by the cops. You could broadcast it live so folks can see it kind of like Facebook Live. Um, but people might also use it to share the hot balloon right there in or, you know, uh, anything that they're currently doing that they, they want to broadcast. Uh, usually it's, it's great for live events. Uh, there's been a problem with like streaming boxing matches and stuff like that um, as well. So that gives you kind of an example of, of the type of stuff that people might want to broadcast live. And and tell me, what did you find when you looked at, at these experiences that, that kids and particularly young girls were, hap were having? What's happening to those kids? So – you know, kids think it's fun to interact with people online. And, and as we know, often it's their friends, but sometimes it's not. And so kids ha who had the app or who had access to a phone with the app uh, would start a, a video chat, kind of, in the same way that you might enter into a chat room. Only with Periscope, you're, you're broadcasting yourself. And so they'd start a broadcast and, and, and try to play games like Truth or Dare. Uh, and then Periscope users would flock to the broadcast. And when they see that, uh, you know, a truth or dare game is about to be played, I'm not sure how it's coordinated, but all of a sudden in these broadcasts that involved kids, uh, you know, anywhere some of the videos 
uh, could be kids with who are quite young, like eight years old, some 13, 14, 15. But, uh, you know, swarms of people would come to the broadcast immediately as if they were somehow tipped and then start um, asking the kids to do things. So things like um, lift up their shirt or uh, kiss each other or, um, you know, show their feet uh, or ask them lewd questions and, and things like that. And, and it seemed like there was a real social pressure that in this coordinated kind of swarming of of the app um, or of the broadcast, whereas a lot of people were asking the kids to do the same thing, it's, it seemed normalized in a way. And, and, it's, and in some cases, it seems that the, the kids really do comply. And, and just so I can understand what's happening, the, the kid is broadcasting a video of themselves, and then viewers are typing messages that the kid is seeing next to the broadcast and, and that are urging the kid to do unpleasant things. Right. And so one of the things I, I didn't mention is that part of the Periscope app is that it's a conversational broadcast. So off to the side of the broadcast, there's a stream of questions that people are watching can 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 feed. Um, and in, in these cases, um, you know, the, the kids would get flooded with uh, truth or dares. Uh, and uh, and there's also a hearts function that kind of lets you know that people are enjoying what you're doing. Uh, and it seemed that there's, you know, uh, some sort of coordinated swarming of, uh, of, of, of youth accounts. Hmm. And I know you talked to Periscope about how, you know, about the situation. How are they responding? So I emailed Periscope, you know, asking if they were aware of this. Um, it's been reported somewhat elsewhere before. So they, they've known about this, you know, for a while and, and users have been calling this out for over a year. And uh, Periscope uh, reaffirmed their zero tolerance policy about this type of thing and said, if I should find something again or if, if, if you know, something like this should pop up in my use of the app that I should report it. Uh, Periscope does have uh, reporting functions that they uh, only implemented last month, uh, specifically around child safety. Uh, but they, again, they've known about this since uh, for over a year. And what's your sense of, you know, if something is going on, how likely is it to get reported and get stopped while while it's still going on? Well, that's the thing. I mean, in order for these reporting functions to work, you have to know they exist. And I, in my course of using Periscope, I never got like an alert or a pop-up that said, hey, you have a new, we have this new privacy feature or this new reporting feature or this new any feature, right? Instead, what they did is they, they published it on a Medium blog that has like 116 followers. And then five days later, they tweeted it out through their Periscope safety account. Uh, so clearly they're not like, trying to show that they have a new child safety feature, or at least do that much outreach around it in a way that can make it more useful. Um, but it's, it's not clear that uh, it's, it's being used. And if it is being used, then it's, it's not clear that, uh, that this reporting feature alone is really scrubbing all the grime. How would people out in the Twitter sphere know that one of these broadcasts is about to happen? You know, I work in journalism and we sometimes use Periscope here when, you know, reporters covering something live. And there's yeah. very often like a hashtag. Are there hashtags that kids are using to identify when they're about to go live with one of these videos or whether or not they're going to do one of these truth or dare games? That's a great question. And, and there's really not a lot written about how um, – you know, these uh, pedophiles, you could say, or, or people who are, who are looking to, to find young kids and, and groom them to do things, uh, you know, like take off their clothes. Um, it's really not clear how they are coordinate, but it does seem like it is coordinated. Uh, you know, it could happen. Uh, a, a source told me on the Periscope app where somebody who has a lot of followers somehow alerts their followers. Uh, but, but it seems like it might be happening off the Periscope app in another forum where people uh, are waiting for... Uh, to, to be clued in that, that a broadcast is about to happen because the live nature of these broadcasts means that it's hard to know when one is going to pop up. Right, exactly. Right. So I guess this my question is um, this echoes what we see, what we saw in Twitter um, over the last few years where people were saying, look, there's all this abuse happening on your platform and Twitter's going, man, it's just so hard to solve. It's just so hard to solve. We're committed to solving it. It's so hard to solve. And um, people wonder about what that's about. Is it that Twitter slash Periscope doesn't want to limit its user base by if they know that there's a certain use case that is grimy and disgusting, but that it's still bringing people to the platform that they want to hedge on that as long as possible? Or is it that it's particularly difficult to solve technologically? It's particularly on, on Periscope, which is, uh, doesn't really use text. It uses 
video and it's really hard to write algorithms to check video, which I guess the question is, which do you think it is? Is it that um, these companies aren't interested in limiting their user base and they're kind of hedging or it's a technologically difficult problem to solve? Both in many ways. I think that as soon as they start to fix a problem, that's admitting that they have a problem and that's probably not mm. the kind of press that they want. They also don't have any legal liability for what people do on their platform unless it's like explicitly unlawful, which this might be. Um, so uh, so there's a lot of reasons why they don't do anything because it's 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 easier to, to not do something and then you don't have a problem in many ways, or mm. at least you don't admit you have a problem. But uh, when it comes to the difficulty of, of, of algorithmically solving this, it's true that this is going to take uh, some sort of, you know, more, more human intervention or, you know, some sort of uh, delay process or, or at least um, people who are uh, scanning or, or taking notes somehow uh, of uh, broadcast when they do pop up or, or, you know, of accounts that are from, you know, younger people or, 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 you know, taking fast action, because uh, it's true that text is easier to analyze through AI than video. Uh, that doesn't mean, though, that it's intractable, right? These companies mm. have a lot of money. And, um, and if they want to solve the problem, then they should in invest in it. I mean, they invest in new products all the time. And, uh, and really, the, one of the issues are, is rather that they didn't invest in it from the start, perhaps. And so now they're having to go back. So to, again, to fix the problem, you have a problem. To, uh, to fix the problem retroactively is much more difficult because the foundation of the mm. app is already built in this like extreme openness way uh, without the type of hedging that might be able to prevent these types of videos from airing. Um, and if it was part of the original iterative design here, then, um, then maybe uh, they wouldn't you know, be trying to, to cut off mm. the head of a hydra. Hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess my other question is, as if I'm a parent listening to this, I'm going, okay, that's it. My kid's never going online. It's, it's too crazy out there. <laughs> and this is something that we, you know, as we, as parents, we feel this all the time. We get calls about this. We get emails. This is the constant struggle for parents in 2017. So I guess, um, you know, we give parenting advice, but you're a person who has spent many, many years studying technology and the way it's used and, and how companies do or don't allow awful things to happen on their platforms. What advice do you have for parents of children about how we should guide our kids in the use of social media, Periscope in particular, but maybe Twitter, Instagram, Facebook in general? So there are some things. Like I didn't have the most uh, attentive parents, just like you know anyone else who has busy parents. <laughs> but, uh, but there were some things that I knew, and, and that was that you don't eat candy that's unwrapped on Halloween, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> like yeah, there were right. some things yeah. that, that were just hammered into to me. And um, I don't know if it was just because it was repeated to me over and over again or it just like I grew up with it as such deep common sense. But we need to start to instill safety around social media and like, you know, don't uh, interact with random eggs, you know, don't, uh, you know, right. eggs meaning accounts that don't have uh, faces and backing or only interact with your friends on social media. Don't interact with anyone that's not your friends. Don't get into a stranger's car, right? Like this type mm. of like very, very basic uh you know, setting the pace at the beginning uh, is really useful. But, but more than anything, I think uh, having a communication, having communication, and knowing exactly what apps your kids use. Uh, I think mm. in a lot of these cases, parents probably don't even know what apps are on their phones. Mm. You know, and um, and it's not that it's easy to keep track of these things because I I know that teenagers are really good at deleting things and putting things back, and <laughs> and that might be kind of. Uh, 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 you know, a constant, you know, race, but, but knowing what, what's on their phone and, and developing kind of a, a level of, of, of trust and, and communication, but it's really just, just knowing as much as you can by, by, by asking and engaging and, uh, and kind of, you know, instilling this, this uh, conversation about what's dangerous and, and the, the real risks in a, in a, you know, discussing the reality of it in a very frank way, uh, as much as possible, uh, I, I think would help because it's true that Periscope, you know, can't parent kids, you know, they can't stop kids from going to dangerous places. They might be able to stop the dangerous places that show up. Um, but there is some, you know, level of, uh, you know, responsibility in terms of, uh, you know, the, the kids having the information or the knowledge given to them at some point, knowing that this is bad. And if they're not getting that, then that's a problem too. 
All right. Uh, April Glazer, thanks so much for being with us. The article is called Periscope Has a Minor Problem. We'll post that to our show page on our Facebook page. Uh, April is the host of Slate's If Then, a new technology podcast that you should check out wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye. Okay, time now for a question from a listener. If you have a question that you would like us to tackle, call us at 424-255-7833, and we can hopefully get your voice on the show. Uh, Our question this week is from Lucy. Hi, this is Lucy calling for Mom and Dad are Fighting. I have a six-year-old daughter. She's an only child, and she goes to a very small Montessori school here in France. There are 18 kids in the whole school, and they range from 3 to 10 years old. She's in the 6 to 12 class, and she's the youngest child. And while last year there were more kids in school, this year in her class there are six boys and three girls. And the two other girls are 9 and 10 years old. So you can see where this is going. Um, I see there's much more gender separation now as the kids get older. And so the problem is that the boys all want to play with the boys, and the two older girls don't want to play with in quotation marks, littler girls. They all like her fine. Um, She loves playing with older girls, of course, and she's pretty mature for her age. And she also has a handful of girlfriends outside the school who I take her to see as much as, you know, you can. And she's in an all-girl dance class where she gets along with everyone fine. But she's really, really having a hard time with this. And she's... um. She feels like no one wants to play with her. So she comes home and she's like, no one wants to play with me. No one wants to play with me. And I try to help her come up with her own solutions. And she's, like, really willing to try tons of things. So we've taken had her taken a bunch of activities for her to do alone and also ones that she thinks might entice the other kids. But um, I start, I'm starting to worry that she's going to start kowtowing to people, if that's the right word for this to get them to play with her, you know. And I don't like to think about what kind of dynamic that sets her up for in the future. I also understand she's not in Syria and that this is like, you know, this is her biggest problem. She's doing just fine. But it is very, very difficult because she loves the school. I love the school. I don't like the public school system in France because it's built on... It's built on shame, which is a long story you don't want to hear anything about. But, um, yeah, so if you could help me out and perhaps suggest some solutions, you know, it would be great. Thank you so much. Bye. So, I mean, this actually sounds like a really difficult problem because here's the, here's the reason this is hard to answer. Because you really like the school, so changing schools is not an option. You feel like you've tried pretty much everything that you can try in terms of like helping the kid navigate being on her own, uh, helping the kid find ways to maybe get some more social time. You have um, made sure that the kid has social experiences outside of school with kids her age that seem to be going well. You don't feel like the distant the difference the differences that are popping up in school are based on cruelty or bullying or anything like that. It's simply developmental. It's natural. So there's not some kind of like adult intervention that you necessarily could lean on. Although that maybe that's one thing. Um, and so as a result, it it does seem like it's just one of those unfortunate things that it's hard to do stuff about. It sounds to me like you're doing everything that you can possibly do in order to counteract what appears to be a natural consequence of a school architecture that, you know, this is one of the problems with that school architecture, but overall you find yourself happy with the way that's built. And so you want to stay in there. And so this feels like a natural consequence. It doesn't feel like there's cruelty or bullying happening. It doesn't feel like your child is isolated in every aspect of her life just during the school day. It's unfortunate. The school year does end. Things will change. Um, perhaps if you want to figure out a way to collaborate with the teachers, that's the one thing that I didn't hear mentioned in the letter that I think I would try as a parent. Um, um, but outside of that, I would want to hear what, what Gabe and Rebecca have to say, because I'm having a hard time seeing, um, 
seeing other solutions for the issue. The question, however, that I sort of thought was buried under this, which was alluded to at the end, was this, I'm concerned about, I'm afraid she's going to start kowtowing, if that's the right word, which I think it is, to these kids in order to get them to play with her. And I'm and I'm reluctant to think about what kind of dynamic that sets up for her in the future. That's, that, I appreciate that. I hear that. Um, I think it's important to communicate that to your child the same way that you see it, that this is a difficult situation, but it's not something where your value is based on getting other kids to play with you. So you actually don't have to kowtow to them to get you to play with you. They will or they won't. If they do, great. If they don't, here's some other things you can do. But what you don't want to do is change sort of the way you are and feel that you have to, that they have to play with you in order for you to feel like you have value and goodness, because that's not true. And it is true that if we teach our kids that, and if we allow ourselves to believe that we do sign ourselves up for much more difficult things in the future. So that's a conversation I would be having with my kid on a semi-regular basis, which is that the kids are not playing with you, not because they hate you, because there's anything wrong with you, but simply because of age. And uh, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. So many people love you. I love you. They, you know, your friends love you, and you don't need to change who you are um, because you're wonderful. Is probably a message I would be even more than usual trying to communicate to my kid in this situation. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I'm looking, thinking about the age differential. It's it's big. I mean. Uh, in the U.S., a six-year-old would be like in first grade, and a ten-year-old would be in fifth grade, and a twelve-year-old would be in seventh grade. And Montessori has an untraditional model. It's one of the reasons why this mom likes it. Um, and part of that model is mixing this broad group of kids together. And it just sounds like there isn't a good critical mass in terms of numbers of kids right now. And I just, to me, feels like a natural consequence of making that school choice and having there be a certain inflow and outflow of kids in numbers. So I think working with the school is probably the best solution. And, you know, what I'm guessing is that your daughter probably wants to play more than a 10-year-old necessarily would. I mean, that's the age where kind of like the play part of play kind of that sort of whimsical let's build things with Legos or blocks or whatever kind of starts to really kind of go away. So maybe there's a way to work with the school to give her structured activities that to her are fun, but that aren't putting her in a position where she's feeling like she's being excluded or trying to include people and they don't want to be included. I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't know um, that there is an answer here at all. It sounds like you are doing all the right things. Um, you know, my one solution would be you could move me to France. I'd be happy to play with your daughter uh, during the school day. <laughs> sounds like really nice. <laughs> um, but no, I think Carvel's right. And I think maybe setting the expectation of being transparent, maybe taking it off her hands and doing that thing we talk about so much on the show is making it like a third party who has determined this and, and something that you guys have to work on together. Um, you know, it's not your fault that right now the school doesn't have other kids your age. That's the school you go to. And when that happens, um, you know, we have to come up with ways to find solutions, but not that these kids don't want to play with you because of you. I mean, clearly that mom is not sending that that signal. So I'm afraid I don't have anything more concrete and a magic bullet, but I do think working with the school, being really honest with them and transparent with them about your daughter's feelings about this and about your concerns is probably the best way to go at this point. I think this kid is going to grow up to be a great novelist. Mm. I, I think the kid is going to spend like three crucial years just watching these bigger kids, watching their dynamics and their social organization and their behavior, and they will overlook her and not notice her, and she'll see everything that's going on, and she's going to come out of it with a sort of profound understanding of human behavior. Um, and she's going to turn out to be an odd kid, but one with a very keen eye, and she's going <laughs> to wind up being a great novelist because she will have both the skill of observation and the skill of being able to sit in a room alone by herself. Um, that and is such that, a novelist way of looking at this story. Yeah. <laughs> you, are, so, you are the novelist here. <laughs> the, the, the best possible outcome. Um, so, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I I can understand being worried, and and kids want to have a peer group, and kids want to play with people their own age, and then at the same time, I I sort of think that like these strange and sometimes difficult experiences often produce strange and sometimes wonderful people, and um, I think that given the choices you've made, you're living in France in a place with a small Montessori school. I think you should own that, and like. Yeah, this will be cool. Make sure she feels, as Carvel said, make sure she feels very loved at home and you're setting up lots of playdates for her outside of school and then she's going to have this difficult, interesting experience and and I think you have to roll with that, unfortunately. Mm. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, thanks very much for, for calling. Um, I would say let us know how it goes, but of course we won't know until she publishes a savage account of her childhood with uh, one of France's most esteemed literary publishers in 2035. Uh, but I really look forward to reading it in translation. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Time now for recommendations. Carvel, do you recommend something to our listeners? I do. I recommend a show from my childhood that my kids my kids rediscovered and and gobbled up, which is The Wonder Years, the mm. 1980s, early 90s, uh, sort of like um, coming-of-age, retrospective television show starring Fred Savage as a, Fred Savage as a teenager coming of age in uh, 1968 New Jersey, uh, discovering about girls and cigarettes and life choices and careers and friendships and falling in love and falling out of love and everything. My son started watching this a few years ago, and I, I thought it was so weird. He just picked it out. I guess Netflix just pushed it up to him and said, hey, how about this? And he said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And then he became obsessed with it. And it was both um, instructive in terms of like, it's a, it's a generally well-written coming-of-age television show um, at a time of something, something of a prestige TV time, but also it helped him understand my points of cultural reference <laughs> because I could say, boy, I was literally your age watching this same thing. And it opened up a lot of conversations for him about the sixties and what they really were and what it felt like to come up in the eighties and be hearing about the sixties. And, and I think it, I think you really got a lot out of it. So I'm recommending the wonder years for your kids ages, let's say 10 and up. Hmm. And Fred Savage is just so great. <laughs> he is. He's so great, <laughs> he's in, great that in that show. show. And he's great yeah. now. He's very, very he's a great funny, director. Yeah, very warm smart, very funny. guy. Yeah. yeah, he's wonderful. I just, I'm a huge, huge fan of his. I uh, love The Wonder Years. It's great. Rebecca, what do you recommend? Uh, I'm going to recommend something I talked about on the Slate Plus Facebook discussion we had uh, a couple weeks ago. We have a tradition in my family at the holiday time. We celebrate Christmas in my family uh, called Attic Treasures, where basically there's a portion of the gift giving part of the holiday where we basically give away something we own. My, it got its name because my mom used to just um, give away crap that she found in her attic. And um, you said we had a theme song for it and everything growing up. But this is um, a way to have some fun. It sort of has like a little bit of that, as we call it in England, Yankee swap atmosphere. There's a lot of mystery as to like what somebody might give you. That's an attic treasure. And there are a couple of rules. Uh, one rule is you are allowed to reject the attic treasure gift that is being given mm. to you. You are allowed to say, no, mm. I do not want this if you want to. And there is no harm and no hurt feelings. Uh, you have to wrap your attic treasure in something that is not new wrapping paper. It can be a grocery bag. It can be newspaper. It can be used wrapping paper. It just can't be something. Uh, it can't look bright and shiny. It has to clearly stick out as just 
some piece of crap that you're trying to give somebody else. And you are allowed to give away things that you think other people might like. You know, if you have a sweater that doesn't fit you anymore or if you have, you know, a toy that used to be yours and you want to pass along. But growing up, this was something that both the kids and the adults were super into. Um, I think about all the Christmases I spent at my mom and George's house, my stepdad's house growing up, and I cannot remember any of the actual gifts that I got, but I do remember all of the attic treasures that I got. <laughs> I remember the ones I kept. I remember the ones I rejected. Um, I just it's it's it really is a wonderful way to sort of talk about the things that you own, especially when parents try to give them to kids, and it's like. Um, you know, my mom used to try to give us stuff that used to be ours, you know, like old toys that we had like put away and forgotten about. She used to wrap them back up and give them back to us. Um, and it was just, <laughs> it was just a really, really fun way to have conversations about family and giving and crap and stuff. And, uh, yeah, there's, of course, you know, uh, environmentally and socially responsible part to it too. But we didn't think about that back in the eighties. We were just trying to get, get rid of our crap and, um, stuff that people rejected that we'd put it in a box in the corner and then just like bring it to the goodwill the next day. So I really recommend adopting some form of attic treasures for your own holiday. I guarantee it is way more fun than it sounds. Nice. I love it. I'm going to recommend a TV show as well. Uh, Eliza and Leo and I have finally found a show that all three of us can watch at the same time, which given the range of ages and temperaments, um, this is the first one. Um, It is the Disney cartoon series Phineas and Ferb. Uh, It aired between 2007 and 2015. Uh, I found out about it because Slate's movie critic Dana Stevens wrote a wonderful article when the show was canceled or when the show, I guess, wound up its run. Um, she published an article on Slate about how much she and her daughter had had fallen in love with this show. Uh, and so I'd always had it in the back of my head. But we finally started watching it on Netflix the other week. Uh, and it is great. It It's about two brothers on summer vacation who every episode come up with a new project and their project is something just implausibly huge, like building a, they want to have a boxing match. So they build a giant stadium that's full of spectators who are all going to watch their boxing match, or they decide to make a beach in their sandbox, but they knock down the fence and behind it, they've built a beautiful Hawaiian beach with an ocean and a luau and surfers and, uh, and at the same time, their sister is trying to catch them doing this stuff and report them to their mom. And at the same oh, time, Candace. there's an evil genius named Dr. Doofenshmirtz who has some other plan unrelated to them. And their pet platypus is trying to thwart the, the evil genius's plans because he's secretly a spy. And the, 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 it's a formula. Every story, every episode yes. has two stories and every story is the exact same formula, but the formula is so weird. It's just the weirdest <laughs> one. I'm still not quite over the existence of this show. It's like a piece of like outsider art that somehow takes the form <laughs> of a Disney Channel cartoon. Um, for me, it has this bizarre, authentic quality to it. For Eliza, it's like surprising and funny and full of good jokes and a tiny smidgen of romance. Uh, and for Leo, the formula is reassuring, but also there are like wacky escapades and, and stuff that three-year-olds like. So uh, any any parent and any kid, I think, should try watching Phineas and Ferb together. It's on Netflix right now. Wow, congratulations on having the group show. I mean, I remember, I mean, we loved Phineas and Ferb. We also loved SpongeBob. That's obviously a little older. I think you're getting Mm -hmm. a little older to Mm -hmm. watch that and appreciate it. And it does feel really good. Oh, I remember Batman, the animated series, was really big in our house for a Mm. while. Like, really appointment viewing for all Mm -hmm. of us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is the first of many years of fun television discovery uh, for you. I'm very excited for you. Cool. It is a wonderful. It is a wonderful moment when when you find those things that everyone can sort of get down with together. It's and yeah, Phineas and Ferb was one of the early ones for us to. What a tremendous show that is! I yes, I second that recommendation all the way. Check it out. I'll post uh, Dana Stevens' article to our Facebook page uh, so you too can uh, experience her persuasive recommendation. And that's what we've got today. If you have a question that you would like us to tackle, you can call us at 424-255-7833. Let us know what you think of the show, what you think of Phineas and Ferb, what you think of Attic Treasures, and and what you think of us as people. On our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting. Uh, This show is produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Gabriel Roth. We will see you next week. 
It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.